would. Let's open your Bible to the book of Philippians this evening. Uh, of course, we have the fellowship time uh, in just a little while uh, in the uh, Family Life Center uh, concerning Christian and um, uh, just an opportunity to just be an encouragement and help to him. Uh, the, I noticed a lot of bags in the lobby today, the church foyer, where people have returned the, uh, the bags for the, uh, food for the, our children here in Morgan County. And uh, also just want to remind you of the mission trip tournament, uh, golf tournament coming up next Saturday. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we'll start tonight in uh, verse number 1. And uh, I pray that will be a help to you this evening as we come together. Uh, it's good to be in church tonight, amen? It's good to see all of you. Uh, I never knew how much I'd miss the teenagers, but I'm missing them tonight. Uh, and uh, we, we want to see God do extraordinary things uh, in their lives this week. Philippians 1, let's begin reading in verse number 1 tonight. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, uh, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for you to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege that we have this evening, and I pray that you'll bless the preaching of your word tonight, and uh, help me uh, to just be a blessing. And uh, Father, we're thankful for all that you do in our hearts and the minds, all that you're doing in our life, and uh, we want to be greatly used of you. And so I pray tonight that you'll put a smile on our face, a joy in our heart, and help us, Lord, to be open to the scriptures, open to the word, and allow you to affect us for your sake. We pray this tonight in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, the epistle to the Philippians was one of five letters that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was imprisoned. And it's, it's another group of believers that will get into their history in just a little bit. But we read the, gospel, we read the epistle to the Corinthians. And when we read about the Corinthians, 
what we learn about them is they're often a divided church because oftentimes they are carnally minded. And rather than, rather than taking the meat of the word, Paul is always having to give them the milk of the word. When you get to the book of Galatians, we find there a confused church where they're saved by grace through faith, but they're trying to bring in their old way of thinking in their Jewish uh, religion, and they're trying to add to what Christ had done. The book of Colossians speaks of a well-rooted and passionate church. Thessalonians was an influential church where their testimony was heard for hundreds of miles away because of what they were allowing God to do through them. When we read about the church of Jerusalem in the book of Acts, it was a dynamic and purpose-filled church. But when we look at the book of Philippians tonight, we find a church that was filled with joy. And that's the subject that I want to speak on tonight, is being a joyful church. It's possible to teach the Christian that his experiences are not shaped outward by outward circumstances, but by the life of Christ within. And that, is, that is the purpose tonight, to understand that. It's not what happens to us on the outside. It's about what Jesus has done on the inside. So, let's move forward tonight. Some of you are looking at me like, some of you are looking at me like, you put a smile on your face tonight. Amen? We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Our lives have been transformed. We're here tonight, and we're thankful for all that God is doing and all that God has done. So there's, this is a church that is filled with joy. Paul later says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so for a preacher who is spending some time in, a, in, uh, in prison, in imprisonment, and uh, going through some trials and persecutions of his own, he is encouraging the church to always find a reason to be joyful. And in our text tonight, in verse 3, we're also going to be looking in Acts chapter 16 in just a moment. So put your marker, your Bible marker, or whatever you have in Philippians chapter 1. But the first thing that I want to highlight tonight is that there was joy in the founding and history of that church. When Paul is writing to them, look again in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. There are some people, Jacob, there are some people that you can think about and you're not really thankful when you remember them. Amen? There are some people that you think, oh my goodness, every time they came there was a problem, right? There's some people that's that way. But I'm going to tell you something, somebody that is close to you, somebody that matters to you, you remember them with joy. You have fond thoughts and memories concerning them. And that is what Paul had when he thought about this church that the Lord used him to found. 
I want you to hold your place here. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. And I, when, he, when he thinks about this church, when he thinks upon, when, he, when, he, when he's, he's thankful upon every remembrance of them, he's thinking there's a lot of things to think about. And uh, one of them is no doubt the memory of the Spirit's leading to start that church. And Acts 16 let, read with me in verse number 6, all right? Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go unto Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mycenae, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. He was thinking about, when he thinks about them, he thought about how, how they first met how they were introduced. He was, in his heart, Paul wanted to carry the gospel to Asia. He wanted to go and impact that part of the world, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go. God just closed every door and opportunity for him to get there. And so he was thinking the next place he would like to go was the area of Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit said, no, I'm not going to let you go there. And so it was a time of trial. If you've ever been there, and we all have, where you're trying to figure out what is God doing? Where is God leading? And, and we don't work on God's timetable because we expect the door to open immediately, right? And, and, and maybe God says no. Well, that's fine as long as he's got a yes tomorrow, all right? But God doesn't work that way. And so when he thinks about them, he thinks of their history. And the fact is that he would not even be in, and of all the places in the world, Philippi was not on his map. That was not where he had envisioned of going, carrying the gospel to what we know of as Europe for the first time. He had other plans. He wanted to go in a different direction where people needed to be saved. But when he looks back over that, and he, and he feels God led him to Philippi, and he gets there, kind of like Brother Brandon in Nigeria. Okay, I'm here, Lord, now what? And so he hears that they have a prayer meeting down by the river. And so he just goes and says, I'm gonna, we're going to attend this prayer meeting tonight. And they go, and uh, they, they spend time in prayer with people who believe in God but don't know Jesus. And so after they get done, he spends some time talking to a woman who needs to know the Lord. And he shares the gospel with her. And the Lord begins to move in 
her heart. Look with me in verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and, and cried, saying, These men... No, let's do it right, all right? Picture a demon-possessed woman who hears Adam, hears these guys preaching Jesus. And this demon-possessed woman finally has had enough. And it, let, let's, let's read what it says again. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, We read it, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. A normal conversation doesn't grieve you. But Abby, if a woman comes behind you and says, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation, that'll grieve anybody. Won't it? That's probably how she said it. She's a demon-possessed woman. Wants nothing to do with the gospel or Jesus. And, and, and Paul had got to the point where he has had enough of her. And so he turns to her and he commands thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely." who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him and to the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. When Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, and he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, 
he could remember each of those people who came to Jesus Christ. He could remember that demon-possessed woman and how, bad, how badly she used to get on his nerves, right? He could remember Lydia, who was religious and would, and would welcome the opportunity to attend a prayer meeting, but she didn't know Christ, and so she came to know Jesus. And then he would remember the warden, the, uh, the chief, the Philippian jailer, who, uh, who because... Paul was under his care and Silas was under his care, beat Paul 39 strikes, whipped him and left him there in the jail cell, blood pouring. But he hears that preacher singing and praising God. And when he would have killed himself, that preacher reached out to him and says, do thyself no harm, we're all here. And how that jailer came running to Paul and asked the question, what must I do to be saved? You'll never forget that, right? You'll never forget how God used you and impacted lives. And so he could remember. He could see Hannah McNutt. He could see Kylie Scripture and Adam Scripture and the first time he came to Somerville Baptist Church, right? And, and, and Don Zeller and, and the conversations we had in your living room, amen? And, and the different people that God has put in the church and, and, and how God has worked in your life and touched your life and so when preacher and when so when the preacher looks at them, he says, "Man, I thank God. I thank God for every memory I have of you." Amen. Can I get an amen out there? He, he's thankful for every memory that he has of what God had done in their life. We see in verse. If you go back to Philippians one. We see the joy of its families. He says, always, verse 4, and every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. As I mentioned, he's, he's got a lot of people there that, that he touched their life and they touched his life. And so in every prayer, when he thinks about that church and Philippi, he says he prays for all of them, making a request with joy. God, would you please do something in Lydia's life? Lord, her life was changed completely when she met you. Do a great work in her. Do a great work in the jailer's life. Lord, you changed him, not only him, but you changed his family. You think of that. Listen, let's stop for just a moment. And let's think about the history of Somerville Baptist Church. And you think about how you ended up here. And a lot of you were saved here. And many others of you were saved elsewhere, but God led you here. And the impact that this ministry has had on your life. Many of you were helped tremendously by Pastor Lewis. Many of you go further back to Royce Teague. Some of you go back to the beginning 60 years ago. And the different men that God has used and the different families and people that God has used in this church. And you can look back over that. And you can see some trials, you can see some troubles, you can see some heartaches. 
But I'm going to say something. You're still here because you also see a whole lot of joy. Amen? And then when you look back over that as well, you see a whole lot of families. You see a lot of families who maybe mom was reached and she got her kids in church and eventually reached her husband. And you got some who here who, who family came for a long time, but, but their, their kids were out of church or, or their spouse was out and not saved or whatever. There's, and there's a whole lot of people that God brought in here for a time and they served here for a season and then they moved on to somewhere else. And all of those people have a part of the history of Somerville Baptist Church and have a part of the joy that is here. Amen? Everybody here. There's a lot. Do you realize this today? There's a lot of people who are saved because they were touched by the ministry of someone who's not even here anymore. Or were sitting in an auditorium that is paid off because there's a lot of people who paid for it, but God's led them somewhere else at this particular time. And so... The thing is, is our joy is found in what God has done in each of our life, how God has used us in this season of our life, and we can look back over that, and we think of the families, and we think of the faces, and we think of the history, and it's all reason to give us incredible joy. Thirdly, we see in verse 5 and 6, we see the joy of its fellowship. He says in verse 5 in Philippians 1, when he's remembering, he speaks of their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, if we all sat around and we talked about what we thought a church should be, we would have a whole lot of opinions. We would hear a whole lot of thoughts on what how they how someone thinks the music ministry should be and and uh, different things that we should do or things that we should no longer do everybody has plenty of opinions but our opinions is not what brings us together you know what brings us together it's our fellowship in the gospel it's our relationship with Jesus Christ and that is always the main thing and all the other things they're important too All of that stuff is important, and they have a vital part in our ministry. But what really brings us together is our fellowship, our work, and the gospel. Because Paul says in verse 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be busy about doing anything for the Lord, we want it to be busy about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and seeing the fellowship grow by reaching people with Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That That is what defines us as a church. Every church is founded upon the gospel. And that's what brings us together. And we're baptized as believers because of our faith and our profession of our faith in the gospel. And the gospel is always going to be the center of everything. And so their fellowship was founded in the gospel. Look look on farther down in Philippians 1, look in verse 27. All right? 
This church, it faced their share of trials and persecutions. And Paul heard about some of the things that they had gone through. But in verse 27, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. All God's people said, We're working together for the faith of the gospel. And then he encourages them in verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. If, if the devil is giving you trouble, glory, because he has an interest in what you're doing for the gospel's sake. If the world stands in opposition of what you're doing for the gospel, then glory, because you're doing something for the gospel's sake. Keep standing on the truth. Look in uh, chapter 2 and verse number 1. I was looking for somebody tonight, but I don't believe they're here. Chapter 2, look at verse 1. The fellowship of the Spirit. If ye be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You have the fellowship of the gospel, you have the fellowship of the Spirit. Lastly tonight, look in verse 11, back in chapter 1. You see the joy of its fruitfulness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. We understand that there's fruit from their spiritual growth. The Bible says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Turn your Bible there with me in Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at that list together, all right? Galatians 5, verse 22. He says that the, we looked a little bit about in, in Wednesday night, verse 19, the works of the flesh, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. He says, Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those things should not define a church member. But he says, someone who's saved, a child of God. Verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Does that define you? 
that person loves me. That ought to define us, you know? Love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Love should define a, a spiritual person, a Christian, a child of God, a church. That church loves you. Amen? That church loves you. Yeah, you've made some mistakes, but that church loves you. What's the second one? Joy. I come from a background where they hated everybody. They hated everybody. And, yeah, but I'm talking about in church, brother. We were traveling through a town last night, uh, coming back from Eufaula. And in that town, I used to go to these preacher conferences around this time, around Father's Day, every year. And at those preacher conferences, they would, they would have scheduled preachers at night, and then they'd call you from the floor in the daytime. Somebody told me I should go. I needed to go today. And what I learned from that meeting is those preachers hate their church, they hate their community, they hate everybody. And I just said, there's something not right about this. And some of those people were my friends. And I would hear them say, nobody wants the truth anymore. We had seven people get saved this week. Aren't you glad? I said, somebody wants to hear the truth. Thank God. And I said, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If the Lord hasn't called us out of here, that means somebody out there still wants the truth. And I know, I know that I don't do everything right. And I know that I could do things better. And I promise you, I beat myself up more than you could get on to me about. Pray for me. I want to do it better. I want to be better. Truth is, you can too. Amen? And can I just tell you this? This pastor loves his church. And I am thankful that God has assembled us together. And so when I come to church, I may have a hundred things on my mind, and I'll just leave it at that. I may have a hundred things on my mind, but I'm going to tell you something. I love it when we come together. Because it brings me great joy. Amen? Great joy. I love it. That ought to define a believer. Ought to define a church. What's the next one? Peace. Can I just say this? I, I feel like over the course of the years in ministry, 
a lot of times I feel like I have to fight Christians more than I have to fight the world. You know what I'm saying? Shouldn't be that way. I expect opposition out there. Shouldn't always expect opposition in the walls of the church. It should be a place of peace. Andrew, when you come here, I want, you, I, I want every church member to want to bring somebody to church. Right? I want, I want every church member to say, I want you to come to my church because I've been in churches where I'd say, I don't want you to come to my church because I'm afraid what's going to be said. You know? It ought to be a place of peace. It ought to be a place of rest and refuge. We've been fighting it. Who wants to come in here and fight it, right? And I ought to have peace in my heart. What's the next one? Love, joy, peace. Say it again. Long-suffering. Man. That means sometimes we've got to put up with one another, don't we? Put up with one another. That's spiritual. Put up with one another. It's spiritual. Have some grace toward one another. What's the next one? Gentleness. Be kind, tender-hearted, loving one another, forgiving one another as much as Christ has forgiven us. Gentleness. All right? You can be tough and still be gentle. All right? Billy, you can be a man but you can still be gentle, right? Next one. Say it again. I can't hear what you said. Goodness. Goodness. You would think I'd have it memorized by now, wouldn't you? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentle. I said I want to get better. Gentleness, goodness, goodness. All right? Just have a desire to do the right thing. I just want to be a blessing. How can I be a blessing? How can I... Do something to be a help. And the next one is faith. Faith. Faith is going to lead us forward. Faith is going to help us when we don't know what's around the corner and what's next. Then you see meekness. Moses was a mighty man of God, but he was the meekest of men. Meekness. It means I put... I put others before myself. It means I don't have to have the pat on the back or receive the glory. Just seek to be a blessing. And temperance. Temperance. Hmm. Maybe, sometime, maybe sometimes it's better not to say it. Amen. Sometimes it's better to have some self-control than it is to not be in control of anything. That's a spiritual individual. That's the marks of a spiritual church. Go to chapter 4 of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And we'll see the fruit of their sacrificial giving. Fruit of their spiritual growth. Philippians 4, the fruit of their sacrificial giving. <clears throat> Verse number 10. 
Paul wasn't seeking to receive, but he says in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He was thankful for the care that that church showed them. And we see that the Philippians were seeking to supply, beginning in verse 14. They were a church who gave joyfully. They, in uh, second, I'll just read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is speaking about joy, uh, grace giving. And he says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. That's describing the church of Philippi. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The fact that they'd had little to give didn't keep them from giving and being a blessing. In, in verse 15 of Philippians chapter 4, they gave regularly. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. They always sought to be a help. And then in verse 17 through 19, their giving was sacrificial. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They gave sacrificially because they could. And Paul is just teaching them a lesson. God knows what your need is, and he can also meet that need. And sometimes it's through brothers and sisters in the church. In closing tonight, go back to verse 4 of Philippians. And there we see it again. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be joyful. Try to, have, try to smile more often. All right? Try to find a reason to be thankful. Try to look back and see what God has done in your life, how he got you to where you are, the people that God's put in your life, and the blessing that they can be. And I'm telling you, just have a reason in your heart to have some joy, and may your cup overfloweth so that it can pour out on somebody else. Amen? Let's bow our heads tonight, all right? Let's have a time of prayer. Father, bless your word tonight, and I pray that it's a help. 
thank you. Thank you for revealing a great truth in my life. That there are people who want the truth. And that there are people with whom it is a joy to serve the 